Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hi, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. Oh, boy, I don't know about any of you, but I am ready for winter to be over. In the Denver area, we are just reaching our snowiest months. <laughs> and it gets uh, worse all the time, you know. I mean, in March and April, those are our snowiest times in Denver. And that time of year can cause people to get down a little bit, to be a little sad, be a little depressed when it's gray out, it's gloomy out, it's it's just not nice weather and you're trying to work through everything, um, emotions, depression, all that kind of stuff. Um, I totally, totally get that. And as we are getting out of COVID, which I hope all around the world you are, we are being able to go back out a little bit. We're talking to family members about needing a break to get out. And maybe they're not understanding your need. You know, you could have said a zillion times through the last two years of this horrible pandemic that you needed help, but they didn't hear you. They didn't believe you. Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe how many times someone has said to me, no one believed me. I am not kidding you. Many caregivers have described to me the frustration and the pain of enduring weeks and months, and in this case, even years of knowing something wasn't right with their person they're caring for, the episodes of forgetfulness, odd behavior, lack of grooming, poor hygiene, eating issues, having the tinkling problems that were leading to incontinence, and all the other symptoms that you see of what other of whatever dementia or memory loss they might have but nobody believes you nobody believes you seriously i know there are so many of you out there right now going yes yes that's exactly what i'm going through i mean you see as the spouse or the care partner of whoever the individual is with Alzheimer's or whatever related condition they might have, and you see the day-to-day progression or the deterioration of their brain, just the, the demise of the person that they were, the the falling off of their knowledge. You see those kinds of things. And if you are the person that 
you know, is an adult child or the uh, sibling or the spouse who keeps in frequent contact with that person, you're going to notice that curious or unusual behavior. And you mention it to other people. You know, you may say, hey, I've seen these alarming changes. And they say, well, we don't see it. Mainly because they only talk to him on the phone or they don't see him very often in person. They might have a 15-minute conversation with the person so they're not recognizing the signs that you are talking about. And even doctors sometimes discount that person's concerns because when they're talking to the person in their office, they may seem just fine. If they only have a 15, 20-minute, 30-minute office visit with that person, it's hard to discern and determine where the impairment is, especially if that person has persistent talking in their uh, temporal lobe. That impairment is, is showing, but they can talk a blue streak and it seems like they're okay. If a doctor hasn't met them before or has only met them once you know, a few years ago or something like that, um, it's really hard for them to be able to see what's different, to see what's changed, to see where the lack of good cognitive skills are. I mean, it's really, really tough. And you know, a lot of times the caregiver who sees it 24-7, you just never get a break, right? And you, get, you see it, you could document it, you can write everything down. But when you get to the doctor, your person could put on an Academy Award-winning performance for everybody else in that 15-minute encounter. The nurse the neurologist, the PA, whoever they're talking to. <laughs> I have had countless, and I do mean countless, heartbreaking accounts of care partners who've been accused of lying, exaggerating, being overbearing, stealing, causing trouble, or being the person who has the problem. One lady told me that her adult daughter berated her mercilessly over the phone for even suggesting that her father had Alzheimer's. Nothing's wrong with dad. You're the one with the problem. And you know, a lot of times that care partner ends up in tears. They don't know how to withstand an attack from another family member. They don't want to go back into the war with anybody and be recounting any of the issues that they've seen because they're not looking forward to another brutal exchange like that. I, I will tell you, there are so many of you out there. I've had, I would say... Just in, since 2022 started, I think I have talked to at least 10 people, clients of mine, 
who have told me about the ravages and the kind of collateral damage that this dementia, no matter what it is, um, leaves behind, that there are kids that, that argue with their mom over their dad's diagnosis uh, or vice versa with their dad over their mom's diagnosis. You know, and part of it is because the world plays host to hypochondriacs and people who constantly crave attention and people who try to take advantage of another person's illness or misfortune. You know, um, there are a lot of people who just deny the situation, like a dementia or memory loss, either with their silence or by being loud and sometimes confrontational, you know, saying they just don't believe it. And when it's a family situation, those family bonds are at risk of being eroded, of of the heartbreak, of the anger, of years of emotional discord, um, competition between family members, somebody thinking they know more than another person, whatever it is, and make it so difficult, so difficult that if you bring it up, if you persist, those relationships could be severed, you know, just addressing the Alzheimer's diagnosis. I mean, I've heard so many sad stories of siblings that have become estranged during the decision-making process while they're caring for their parent. And, and on a sadder note, we've had lots of uh, tales, I guess, of, of adult children who refuse to make amends even long after that person's passed away, long after the disease has shown itself with its, you know, rearing its ugly head and all the terrible symptoms that the person has. I don't know. I guess you guys are going to have to ask yourself, is denial easier than facing whatever painful truth it is? I've said so many times that I think it's easier to have a conversation with someone about their journey and about their diagnosis and keep open lines of communication than it is to keep it from them or be in denial because when you're in denial, you generally have confrontation with the person. They feel judged. 
They don't feel your love. Their judgment and reasoning is not working. And you can't argue with a person with Alzheimer's, Lewy body, Parkinson's with memory loss, especially frontal temporal. You can't argue with anybody like that. You, you won't win. They don't understand. And if you wait until they are knee-deep in the disease, uh, you have delusions, you're stealing my money, you're stealing my clothes, you're taking my independence, and you shouldn't be, like, driving a car, and all those kinds of things, right? And it's not easy to accept. I think you can I think you can grasp the full dimension of like heart problems or of cancer better than people can grasp that someone is losing their cognitive abilities or having memory loss. And I think it's because the treatment is a more exact science. I think, I think they can clearly see when it's heart problems or it's some type of cancer, the path, the path that we go down, the medicines that we take to feel better, how we manage pain, how we manage symptoms. We don't manage pain with Alzheimer's. But we ought to think about it because the emotional pain is overwhelming. I mean, crazy overwhelming. I guess if we were to say we were going to deal with that, we would probably be dealing with the depression of the situation. And there are... um, there are drugs that you can take for depression and stuff like that, but but I'm kind of making an analogy. You know, if you if you understand what I'm trying to say, it's harder to list, you know, like um, a really definitive cause. And a lot of times it's not a hundred percent conclusive until there's an autopsy. You know, we can guess, we can we can utilize what we know about symptoms. We can we can work within uh, the realm of many mental status exams, red flag indicators. We can work with neuro um, behavioral assessments that take four hours or whatever it takes. Uh, we can utilize some, Imaging systems like PET scans or CAT scans, PETs are expensive. And usually you can't get one of those unless you're in a research study. Um, They can do MRIs, but like I've told you before, MRIs are only as good as the one it's compared to. So you get one and you get another one a year later and they see if there's a loss of density in the brain. Uh, CAT scans can say whether or not there's any electroactivity in various lobes of the brain. It can tell us a lot about whether or not part of the brain is working or not. But when it comes down to the symptoms of Alzheimer's, 
Parkinson's, Lewy body, frontal temporal. It's all sub- subjective. It's subjective to the person that you're trying to diagnose. And who were they before? Were they a narcissist before? So them not caring about your feelings and just being egotistical and it's all about me, who they are? Because if they are, that's hard to determine whether or not a degenerative brain disease is what's messing them up at the time, right? So that's just kind of an example. And I think that the medical community has made tremendous strides. I mean tremendous in in recent years in the way that they diagnose Alzheimer's and the other conditions. But still... Having said that, it is difficult to understand because everyone responds and progresses differently. And we can't see it. It's hidden in our brains. And a lot of times it's, it's viewed with skepticism when the person we're looking at doesn't look any different. When the person looks the same as they always have. That's the bad thing about neurodegenerative diseases is that we often can't see the disease on the person's face. It takes years before we see it in their demeanor, in their physical being. It takes years. So that's why, as I was talking about earlier, Adult children have a more difficult time accepting whatever the condition is. And if they're not in a daily or weekly contact with that parent, they're in utter denial. And they make it crazy difficult on the parent who is well and in the trenches trying to do the best they can. And they're meeting the skepticism. It's really, really tough. And the reason why it's critical to get that early diagnosis is not only for that person and their well-being, but really it's about allowing the family and the friends to address whatever immediate and future needs that person is going to have and explaining to the people who are in denial why it's important to get paperwork in order, why it's important to get finances in order, get wills done, get to a doctor, find out if there's some specific ways that you can address the needs of that person um, in helping them with what they are struggling with on a thinking level, a cognitive level, and what they are dealing with from an emotional level. The more you can be compassionate and understanding with them, the better time they're going to have. We're going to take a short break, and we come back. When we come back, we're going to have a continued conversation on this very subject. 
Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one -on -one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay. So we're talking about the struggles to understand when there are individuals within your immediate family, friends, whatever it is, your inner circle, and they are not understanding that there's impairment going on. And it's hard. It's hard. You can have people who are lawyers and practicing doctors and everything else, and they can't see it in their parent or their sibling or whoever it is uh, because maybe it's just because it can't be so. You just don't want it to be so. Or you just feel like... Um, you're not seeing the full brunt of those interactions daily that your parent is seeing with the other parent. Um, to that, I say, if you are in a struggle, call it a power struggle, call it emotional struggle, I don't care what you call it. If you're in a struggle with a family member, one surefire way to open the doors of communication is to leave for a week and ask that person to stay at the house with the person that you believe is impaired. I guarantee you have my solemn promise on this. If there are problems, there's no way they won't be able to see it. Leave for a week. Take that much-needed vacation to Fiji. <laughs> I don't care where you go. Go. Go and leave them to their own devices. Usually I would say give them some ideas of things that calm your person, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've done that how many times? How many? <laughs> Set people up for success, I always say. Ah, hell with that. Don't leave them. Don't, don't put them up for success at all. <laughs> Just go. Just go and have them come. The more things that go wrong will get you on the same page. 
I promise you, give it a try. If you have somebody that is fighting you on all of this, that's the way to get them on the same page. Leave. If a week doesn't do it, go for two. If a week doesn't do it, go again in three months and ask them to come back and stay for it because it's a progressive disease. They can't escape it. They cannot escape it. <laughs> Eventually, it will show. All right. So what are some other ways? What are some other ways you can get everybody on the same page? Um, try to get everybody together. Uh, try to see if you can get a family meeting set. Ask everybody to write down what their feelings are, what their beliefs are, um, you know, I guess you're going to have to have thick skin to be able to hear if they come right out and confront you on it and say you're dead wrong. Um, but you can read some books. I don't care where you are in the world. If you have a computer, I have on my website under resources, I have books to read. I have really great books for you to read. Um, so get in there and read some of those books and learn, learn some things. If you can be in on my monthly classes at the beginning of, uh, the month, they are usually the first Wednesday of the month. They are always the first Wednesday of the month, 1.30 to 3.30 mountain time. I don't care if you're in London, England and you're nine hours off and you have to get up in the middle of the night, if it helps you get in on my classes, learn, right? And then share that information and decide if you want to have a lot of people there to help them learn what you now know. If you want just a few people there, what size of group can you give information to that will work best for you? Um... Try to figure out if somebody's going to respond with grief or anger or whatever myriad of emotions they have. And if they need to be around other people or if they wouldn't share if they were around other people, do you need to talk to them one-on-one -on -one or do you need to talk to them in a, gr a group? Um, share important information that highlight the facts that you've been talking about. And if a physician has made the diagnosis, give them all a copy if you're able to. You know, uh, if, if there's HIPAA things that are involved, um, you have to be a little careful of, about that. But I think if you're talking about a mom and a dad and their children, adult children, whatever it is, and grandchildren, and you want them in, um, I would guess that that would be okay, uh, especially if you if you can have it with the person who has the diagnosis and they're okay with you sharing. So share that information. What did the doctor say? Be ready to d discuss any ideas you have, any options that you have um, for caring for them. 
uh, ways for people to be patient with them, compassionate with them, creative with them in, you know, trying to figure out some activities they could do, things like that. There aren't very many medications out there. There's no magic pill, so don't look for it. Um, it's more about how we communicate with one another and how we provide and interact with effective communication will make all the difference in the world. It just will. And try to avoid any hot buttons that someone has brought to you. Try to stay away from confrontation and accusations and and getting angry and you've been the one who's been researching you're the person who's been looking up the information you're the one who's trying to understand better and grasp better what these journeys are going to look like and you're springing it on somebody right now and they may not be able to comprehend the way you have embraced the information, the way you have, you know, really thought um, through all the information and the resources that, that you've been reading. They may not have had that chance. So you're going to have to let it soak in. Okay, and when you're having a conversation like that, kind of make a priority list of what's going to enhance the life of the person with the diagnosis, what's going to serve the immediate needs that they have. Take it bit by bit. Bite it off in chunks. It doesn't have to be a big mountain. Okay, get the input of the person with the dementia or the memory loss and, and see what they can still contribute to their own care plan. That's how you put it all together. That's how you, you get that interaction. That's how everybody bridges the gaps and starts talking to one another. Let that person with the diagnosis be there. Don't talk around them. Don't talk behind them. Don't talk when they're not there. Bring them into the conversation and try to have a very open conversation about the things they think they're going to need, the support they're going to need to continue working. Um, talk in advance about what needs to happen as they lose their memory and cognitive ability with driving. Um, what can we do to make it easier? How can we tell your boss? How can we tell other family members? How do we keep you as the main focus of who you are and the persona of who you are and not have it be the disease? I'm telling you, even when somebody has like cancer or, or something else, 
sometimes we have a tendency to only recognize them as whatever the disease is they're dealing with. Oh, that person has cancer. Oh, they've lost their hair. Oh, they're not doing well with the chemo or whatever it is. Um, and we want to try to refrain from labeling our person with a diagnosis because they are still a person and we want to do everything we can to maintain their dignity and their quality of life as best we can. And when you're having these conversations, remember to listen to everybody else. They're going to have reactions and, you know, you're going to have reactions. Sometimes they're not going to mesh. Try to act and not react. Don't say things like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, or you're not listening, or, you know, those confrontational things that, that really get get tough. Try to have some useful suggestions. If somebody says something that shows you that they're not clearly understanding. How can you offer some assistance to them that is helpful? Can you recommend a book? Can you recommend a, a um, thought to them of, of uh, well, when you, can you give me an example of something you said to mom or dad or whoever it is um, that you wish you would have said it differently. Give yourselves the opportunity to forgive yourselves if you've said something that you think was hurtful or inappropriate or sometimes even downright mean. Because what, what we don't know can hurt us and can hurt other people. But the point is... We can focus on the things that people said to us that hurt, but I would rather focus on the things that make us smile. So in the midst of all this, rather than kicking yourself for anything you said wrong or did wrong, just be gracious. Maybe apologize for things you might have said. And if and if somebody apologizes because they didn't recognize or believe you sooner, this is not a time for you to say, I told you so. Be gracious about it. Be gracious about it. There's no reason to rub anybody's nose in it. There's no reason to be hateful about anything like that. People have a hard time with that. Sometimes they have a hard time accepting. Sometimes they have a hard time letting somebody else win. And this isn't about anybody being the smartest. This isn't about anybody winning a competition of who's the favorite kid or who's the most helpful. This is about doing what you can to work together 
to be the best for that person you can be. Because I'm telling you, I said it earlier, but I think there's a lot of collateral damage when family members don't believe another person when they're talking about symptoms that they see. They don't want it to be true. They're doing everything in their power to dissuade you that 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 person is not having a problem, that you're making it up. And there's so many ways that a person that has the, the disease can sort of mask what's going on. Um, there are times when they seem like the experiences they're sharing with you um, are logical and reasonable, but if you were to dig deeper, maybe there's some holes in their story um, that you could have looked at. Um, when people are trying to mask their disease, they often will use phrases that um, are simple to sort of deflect your interest. Oh, I'm fine. Um, I'm just tired. Um, you know, I I just wasn't feeling well that day. I think my hearing may be off. I need to go to the doctor and get my hearing checked. Um, I don't didn't remember that because it wasn't really something important. I'm retired now. I don't need to remember every single thing that comes into me. I don't. I don't even know what day it is anymore because when I was working, I had to get up on Monday morning at 7 a.m. But now that I'm retired, I can get up at 10 o'clock if I want. So days blend together. I don't know what day is what. It's not a big deal. Leave me alone. Just wait till you get old. You'll you'll find out. You won't remember everything that has been said to you. Um, you know, and people think that if they just... If they just look close enough, they could see that somebody was having a problem. But if they think they don't, they think that they'll just snap out of it. They'll just snap out of it. They'll remember what it was they were supposed to remember. Um, they wonder sometimes, you know, why a person seems like to have good mechanisms at one minute and the next minute they can't remember what you said. And um, sometimes they'll answer you with a question or they'll say anything on the planet they've got. They've got a response to everything you ask except for the answer to whatever question you were asking. <laughs> um, people have a lot of pride. They don't want to. They don't want people to see they're having a problem. They will work incredibly hard not to say hardly anything while people are around or to come up with a response that sounds like they're okay when they don't want you to know something's wrong. And the more intelligent a person is, the better they can mask it. And the better they mask it, the better we say, oh, well, they're fine. It's just kind of how it works. So we see... A lot of these problems, we see it in financial mistakes that they make. We see it in driving mistakes that they make. It takes a long time to really understand that there's cognitive issues and memory loss going on. 
And the more you can read about it, get on the internet, don't believe everything you see, but get on the internet, go to a support group, read a book, um, go on my website, summitresiliencetraining.com. I have a knowledge center that has 45 pieces of information. Listen to my podcast. I have a ton of information on how to figure out if it's what dementia it is or what is early stage or what are the early signs. I have five years of podcasts you can go back and listen to every week. And I label them all so you know what the what it is. So you don't have to guess what podcast you're listening to. And you can find all that on my website, summitresiliencetraining.com. So I don't know. I hope this has brought a little light to how you share the information, how you talk to the naysayers, how you bring people together to learn about this information, to figure out what's going on and share what you've learned and to be gracious when people are coming around to it and it's taken them a lot longer when you've had a couple of years seeing these symptoms that are going on and the problems that have been happening. So just think about that. Well, you know I don't like to talk to just talk, so I think that will wrap this up for today. But know that I care about you, my caregiver nation, and thank you all for listening And uh, in the upcoming weeks, I'm excited to announce that I have a new sponsor for the show. And it's Carillion at Bellevue Station. And in April, you'll start hearing the good things they're doing at their community. I also want to thank the University of Colorado Hospital Neurologist for all the work that they do with me and all the wonderful information they have provided for all all of you for the last several years. And also uh, Spring Ridge Park Assisted Living and Memory Care for being my sponsor of the classes that I provide through the University of Colorado Hospital and just for all the great work and person-centered care that they provide for their residents. All right, friends, I will see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.